Good morning. My name is Jen Ashby, and it's my privilege to look at the scriptures with you this morning. We are in the midst of a series called, Who is This Jesus? And today we're talking about Jesus Christ, our healer. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, that's the denomination of which we are a part, we proclaim Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And that's reflected in the logo for the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which looks like this. So that cross in the middle represents Jesus as Savior. And then on the right, that um, kind of chalice-looking thing, we call it a laver, it's shaped like um, an instrument that was used at the temple for cleansing. And so that is what represents Jesus, our sanctifier. He is continually cleansing us from sin. And then on the left-hand side, you see a pitcher, and that's a pitcher of oil that represents Jesus as our healer. And hopefully today, that will become a little more clear to you. And then at the bottom is a crown, which represents Jesus as our coming king. We call this the fourfold gospel. And then the globe in the back reminds us that the fourfold gospel is for the whole world. It's for all the peoples of the earth. So this week, I went back through the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I reread every account of Jesus's healing miracles. And when you take into consideration that some of these accounts were written about by more than one person, uh, when you factor that in, you see that even so, Jesus healed a lot of people. Some of these accounts talk about the healing of one person. Some accounts talk about the healing of several people. And some of them just say, and Jesus healed many people. (laughs) It was a lot of people. Each of the accounts is different, but I want uh, you to get just a sense of the flavor and the tone of these miracles. And so I'm going to read for you just one example from Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord! Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Let's pray together. God, today as we open your word and as we invite your spirit, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. And where our view and our understanding of you needs to broaden, would you do that? And where our, where our faith in you needs to increase, would you do that? Would you meet with each one of us today in the intersection between truth and experience? And would you have your way among us today? We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So before we can talk about Jesus, our healer and healing, I think we need to talk about why we need healing in the first place. Why were these two guys blind in the first place? Why do I get sick? Why do the people that we care about suffer? Why do we all ultimately die? 
To answer that question, we have to go way back to the beginning of the Bible timeline. Way back in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve and set them in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. They lived in this perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, and a perfect relationship with creation. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when they chose to go their own way, that sin resulted in a broken relationship with God and a broken relationship with each other and a broken relationship with creation. It got fractured. It got torn. And the trajectory of where the story was going got skewed. And so now the natural consequence of entry into sin, entry of sin into this world means that sometimes babies are born prematurely and sometimes cells go rogue and become cancers and sometimes there are natural disasters that result in human injury. Well, God saw where this new trajectory was going, where it was taking the story, and so he intervened. And his provision for the new reality was to not let it go on forever. And so he removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden so that they could not eat from the tree of life and live forever. And he repurposed the physical death that now existed. He repurposed that into an entry point into everlasting life with him for those who believe. And when the coming king returns, there will be no more sickness and no more death and no more sorrow for those who believe. Listen to this from Romans 8, beginning in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting, but we live here, now, in this new trajectory. Simply put, what I'm saying is that the Bible teaches that sickness comes from sin. Sickness comes from sin. We are all born into a world that is at the same time beautiful and glorious and also sin-sick. It is a sin-sick world. And so we get sick, and the people that we care about suffer. And it's because of this general state of sin and its consequences. Now, it's my responsibility to teach you the whole counsel of God. It would be much easier to just stop right here with our talk about suffering. But since it is my responsibility to teach you the whole counsel of God, I need to tell you the other things that the Bible says about suffering. The Bible also talks about um, sickness and suffering as a result of specific sin. Specific sin. So that could be that someone else specifically sins against me, like in an act of violence, and I would suffer because of that specific sin. 
The Bible also says that my own specific sin can result in my own sickness. The Apostle Paul was giving instructions to the believers at Corinth, instructions to the church about how they should go about having communion when they worship together. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So it is a possibility that one can be sick because of one's own specific sin, but it's not a place to camp, okay? For yourself, definitely not a place to camp for others. When you're sick, you can just simply ask the Lord, Lord, is there a specific sin that I need to confess and repent of? These are the kinds of prayers that God loves to answer. So if there is something, he will show you. And you can confess and repent of that. If you ask him that question, fully ready to hear any answer he wants to give, and he doesn't tell you something specific, then you can assume that's not why you're sick and move on. And do not, please hear me, do not camp on this for other people. If someone else, if someone around you is sick because of a specific sin in their life, God will let them know if they're willing to hear it, right? God will let them know. We are commanded to care for the sick, not to condemn the sick. We're commanded to care for the sick. So suffering can come from sin. The Bible also says that God himself can cause sickness and suffering. He may do this for the sake of his own glory, the glory that would be demonstrated when he heals, or the glory that would be demonstrated as he meets us in that sickness and that struggle. Listen to this from John 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. God may also cause suffering for our sanctification, for using it to make us more like him. Hebrews 12 does not specifically name sickness, but Hebrews 12 talks about how sometimes God uses hardship, hardship to discipline us and to make us more like him. Many of us are very uncomfortable with the idea of God causing sin or suffering, even allowing sin or suffering. That's probably an understatement, right? That we're uncomfortable with that. It's really important to remember that not only might God cause the sickness or suffering or allow it, he is also the sufferer. He is also the sufferer. 
Listen to this prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So suffering can come from sin, it can come from God, and the other source of sickness and suffering that the Bible talks about is Satan. As I mentioned, there are 23 different accounts in the Gospels about healing miracles of Jesus, and as I was reading through them this week, I began to notice a pattern, and then I went back to the beginning and looked more closely, and I saw that in one-third of these instances, the Bible says there was an evil spirit involved. One-third of the time of those instances that are recorded. An example would be from Luke 13. It says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, You are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. This dynamic between evil spirits and suffering warrants a much longer conversation. But for this morning, what I want you to hear is this. In these accounts in the Bible, regardless of what was going on, whether there was an evil spirit or not, Jesus had authority over it all. He had authority over it all. And he healed and set people free. And he is no different today. And he is still among us about his ministry of healing and freedom. Let's shift gears and stop talking about suffering. Let's talk about Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our healer. The main expression of healing that we're talking about this morning is something that we call divine healing. Not faith healing, but divine healing. The founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance was a man named A.B. Simpson. And here's how he defined divine healing. Divine healing is the supernatural divine power of God infused into human bodies, renewing their strength and replacing the weakness of suffering human frames by the life and power of God. This is the kind of healing that occurs outside of known natural processes and outside of known medical processes. This is the healing that we see in Matthew 20 with the two blind men. This is the healing that you heard about in that video before the message. It's important to understand that spiritual brokenness and physical brokenness are related Both are caused by sin, as we've discussed. Spiritual wholeness and physical wholeness are also related. They're both provided for in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us when he died on the cross for our sin and for all the consequence of sin, we call that the atonement. We call that work of Christ the atonement. Atonement simply means to make amends for wrong. 
So we say both spiritual healing and physical healing are provided for in the atonement, in the work of Jesus. Let's look at some more verses from Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So when I place my faith in Jesus, when I become a member of God's family, I'm exchanging my sin for Jesus' righteousness. I'm exchanging my sickness for Jesus' resurrection life. And I'm exchanging my sorrow for Jesus' joy. And the reason we know the exchange works, the reason we know Jesus really did triumph over sin and sickness and death is in the evidence of the resurrection. And that is why his resurrection is such a big deal. This is why Easter is such a big deal. So as believers in Jesus, as members of God's family, as God's sons and daughters, it is our divine privilege to ask him for divine healing. Jesus has accomplished it. He has provided it. He has made it possible. So when I ask for it, what I'm asking for is that what Jesus accomplished would be applied in my life and in my body. I'm invited, even instructed, to ask for this freely, boldly, and have confidence that God can do it and desires to do it one way or another. And then once I ask for it, you might say, the ball is in his court. Then the ball is in his court, and he may very well choose to divinely heal in a miraculous way. This is divine healing. Or God may choose to to heal through what we call common grace. We don't use the word common here as in ordinary or not that special. It's actually very amazing. (laughs) We're using the word common because it means we all have it in common. We all share in the common grace of God, whether we are believers in Jesus or not. God has designed our bodies in amazing ways with the ability to fight infection, to mend broken bones, to reroute blood vessels around obstacles. I mean, this stuff will blow your mind. I put some scripture references on your handout that refer to some of the amazing ways that God has designed us. This is part of common grace. Another aspect of what God has provided through common grace is medical science. God is the one who made our brains to do research and clinical trials and clinical practice. God is the one who made the raw materials that make medicines and make other interventions possible. You see, all of that is a gift from God. And in many cases, this is his provision and how he heals. Medical science is not a contradiction to divine healing. 
It is not a contradiction to divine healing. And by no means does the Bible forbid it. God's ultimate healing comes through death and the new body. Here's another quote from A.B. Simpson. He said, Neither is divine healing physical immortality, but it is fullness of life until the life work is done. And then receiving our complete resurrection life at the coming of Christ. Now, as a younger Christian, I struggled even more than I struggle now with this observation that Jesus seemed to heal so many people in the Gospels, and I just didn't see it as much in my life and the lives of people I cared about. And it was a really important aha moment when I realized that every single person that Jesus healed in the Gospels later died. Even the people Jesus rose from the dead, Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow, Lazarus, amazing, right? But later, they died, and they stayed dead, right? I did not grow up in a tradition where we talked very much about healing. And so when I came into the Christian Missionary Alliance, where we talk about this a lot more, I was like, hold the phone. I need to study the scriptures and wrestle with this and test this. And I began to do that. And then when I learned that at every general council, that's the big, big gathering of Christian Missionary Alliance people in the United States. Every time there's a general council, healing is always one of the things we talk about. And at every general council, there will be two testimonies. There will be one testimony from a person who is divinely healed in this life. There will be another testimony about a person who was not healed in this life, but we are confident is now enjoying their new body. And once I learned that this is how we are approaching this, I thought, okay, this is a biblical and balanced theology that I can embrace and get on board with. Even before I had this figured out in my mind, I mean, this much of it figured out, let's be honest, a lot of this is a mystery. (laughs) Even before I had this much figured out, I knew enough um, at 22, standing in my dad's hospital room at his deathbed, in the moments after he died, the seconds after he died, standing there with my mom and my sister, And my aunt was praying in the corner. And I just spontaneously began to quote out loud these verses. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was growing up in this little United Methodist Church in a small town in south central Kansas, we had no African Americans in our church because we had no African Americans in our town, but sometimes we sang African American spirituals. And one of the spirituals that we sang was, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a balm in Gilead. And the words go, 
There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. You can thank me later for not singing. (laughs) Dr. Leonard Sweet says that this word balm comes from a word we know, balsam. That evergreen, piney kind of tree with a resin that was used as medicine. That's balm. And Gilead is the Gentile region on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And we've talked about that region before as the other side. The other side, where the non-Jewish people were, the non-religious people were. And Jesus would go to this region proactively, intentionally, and cross those barriers and mix and mingle with those people and exercise his ministry of healing and casting out spirits and feeding people. People have associated Jesus with healing for a very long time. And in medieval times, there were artists who would paint pictures of Jesus as an apothecary, as a pharmacist. Like this picture, you see those little pots of medicine in front of him? But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just have the medicine. He doesn't just have the balm. He is the balm. He is the balm of Gilead. And so this is not about trying to place healing under a microscope and dissect it and pick it apart so that I can somehow um, control it or wield it. This is about drawing near to Jesus the healer and pressing in to Jesus the healer. He is the balm of Gilead. So what do we do? What do we do? We ask. We ask. We ask and we pray for healing. It's our divine privilege as sons and daughters of God to ask for divine healing and to trust God to apply that in our lives now or later. In these 23 instances I keep referring to, Two-thirds of the time, somebody asked. Somebody asked before Jesus healed. And I encourage you, this is something I'm trying to grow in. I encourage you to ask before you turn to other things. Before you pop the ibuprofen, ask. I got permission from my colleague, uh, Erica Thornton, to share something that she wrote in her position paper on Jesus the Healer. And she said, yes, Uh, you need to know when you hear this that uh, Erica and Jonathan have five children. Listen to this. We have tried hard to teach our children that our default is prayer. Every time someone gets hurt in our house, we we do not ever kiss it better. We simply hold their hand or where they are hurt and say, Jesus, please heal this. We have taught our kids to pray for themselves too. I want them to grow up believing that our first reaction to sickness or pain is asking for healing. Not rushing off to the doctor or grabbing an ice pack from the freezer, but prayer. Then she puts in the parentheses, we have done those things as well after prayer, but prayer comes first. Once when my daughter Chloe was three, 
she shared a queen-size bed with her brother, who was two. William would often bite his siblings at that age. One morning, we came in to see a massive red circle on Chloe's face, and we asked her what happened. And she calmly told us that William bit her in the middle of the night. But she was fine because she prayed about it. She said it did not hurt at all. There was no bruising or cuts. But God in his wisdom to bring more glory to himself had left a red ring on her cheek. So she had the opportunity to tell her parents about God's healing power. (laughs) Ask God first. Ask God first. This morning, we're going to conclude with a passage that gives us some really specific instructions about this asking, and it's from James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Humility is a really integral part of following these instructions. Because if you present yourself asking for prayer, you're acknowledging that you're not 100%. And you need God. And you need other people. The oil for anointing uh, does not have a magical purpose. Uh, For us, it does not have a medicinal purpose. Uh, It's just regular olive oil that we use. But it represents the touch of a Holy Spirit. And throughout the scriptures, you see this connection made between oil and the representation of the Spirit. When we pray, when the elders and leaders pray for those who are sick... What we are praying is that the Holy Spirit would apply the work of Jesus, the atonement, everything he's already accomplished, that he would apply that in that person's life. We do pray in faith, as these verses refer to faith. We pray in faith, but faith does not create healing. Faith does not create healing. It's not the cause of healing, The finished work of Jesus is the cause. It's the finished work of Jesus that's the cause. And we pray after there's an opportunity to confess sin. Because a person's unconfessed sin can be a hindrance to experiencing healing. But it's not the only reason that someone might not experience physical healing right in that moment. So this morning we have an opportunity to practice these instructions. And I want to tell you exactly what to expect. Okay? After I pray, the band's going to play some instrumental music. And if you would like to be anointed and prayed for for healing by our leaders, then you can simply stand in the aisle. Or if the aisle feels crowded to you, you can come to the front or to the back. If standing is too difficult for you, Uh, you can just slip your hand up. This is not a really big room. We will find you, and we will come to you, okay? Once we come to you, this is what happens. We will ask you, what would you like Jesus to do for you? 
Just like that passage from Matthew 20. What would you like Jesus to do for you? And that's your opportunity to say, uh, whatever physical or mental health or emotional need you would like for us to pray about. And then we will say, is there any sin that you would like to confess? And if you feel prompted that you need to confess some sin, I want to assure you, you are in a safe place here. You can go ahead and do that. And if not, just say no. And then we will put just a very small dab of oil, probably on your forehead. If we haven't already put our hand on your shoulder, we will put our hand on your shoulder and we will pray for you. Our elders are here today to uh, partake in this ministry. Their wives may also be involved, Pastor Mark, and I uh, may also be involved. Um, But that's what you can expect. So I'm going to pray and then invite those of you who would uh, like to be anointed and prayed for to stand. But let's pray together. Jesus, may we be people who look to you first for our every need for our every kind of brokenness and for our every question. May we be people who look to you first before we look to other things or before we try to fix it on our own. And God, I pray that you would enlarge our faith in you, enlarge our faith that you are great enough to do all that you've promised. You are great enough to do all of this and more. And may you increase our faith that you are also good and desiring our wholeness and our wellness. So God, I pray now uh, your spirit to minister freely among us and to prompt and to lead and to do your work. Glorify yourself and uh, build up this body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.